so we kicked off First Peter last week and, and uh, essentially talking about uh, who's writing it. Who's writing it is Peter, uh, writing it to uh, these Christians and these churches all throughout the known world, these major uh, uh, key places um, that were, uh, is where the gospel was expanding to. And, and as these Jesus followers are um, coming to understand what it looks like to follow him, to live for God within their local cultural context, um, they start to experience persecution, opposition. They start to go through trials for their uh, faith. They, they experience that on, on many levels, whether it's in the community, whether it's in their family, whether it's their spouse. Um, uh, they, they experience it on all these different levels. And so um, essentially we see a heart uh, in First Peter that is directed towards helping, equipping, and encouraging people to live for Jesus in the midst of persecution in the midst of suffering and trials. And just as that is such a critical topic for the people then, how critical is that topic for us today? It's very, very important. And so we're gonna walk through this. I think it's gonna be uh, huge for our church. And, and today, um, it was very clear to me in the first gathering that I bit off more than I can chew, but whatever, all right? So in 1 Peter, we're gonna look at verses three through 12 uh, today. So let me start by verses three through five says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, in regards to suffering and trials, the verses we're looking at today are, are, are some of my favorite. Okay, they're, they're, they're just uh, very, very powerful. And, and we see Peter uh, kick off this section with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at how he even says that, um, that how he phrases that is a very uh, distinctly Christian way that we see throughout the New Testament. See, historically, the Jews uh, had blessed God as their creator and redeemer from Egypt when they would address him. But now uh, Christians um, would bless God as the father of their Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that phrase all throughout uh, the New Testament. But what did he say was behind this, this new birth to be born again? He says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Okay, so when we, when we look at um, us, us being just, just blessed um, and, and given salvation, uh, what's behind it? Behind it is God's incredible mercy. It's incredible mercy. Ephesians chapter two, verses four through five, it says this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You guys, the gospel message, the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ uh, to, to bring redemption to humanity, that was initiated by God's compassion. It was his compassion. Something had to uh, happen because why? We were, it says in scripture, dead in our sins, 
right? We were eternally separated from a perfect and holy God because of the sin uh, in our lives that we were born into. And so the gospel itself is, is this incredible act of compassion. It's this mercy that God has blessed us with. Now, uh, a lot of times we hear the words used interchangeably of grace and mercy. Grace and mercy are different, okay? Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy is not giving you what you do deserve. You should say amen, okay? Because what we deserved and what we got were two different things when it comes to the gospel, all right? Out of his compassion, um, because of his incredible mercy, in fact, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 1-3 calls him the father of mercies. Uh, because of his great mercy, he has decided to withhold the judgment that was due to you and I and offer redemption, offer another way. And so it's out of that great mercy that we are, it says, born Again, now when we see the term born again, uh, Jesus would use that throughout his earthly ministry. Um, and it's talking about salvation. Okay, to be born again is to uh, be saved and enter into this new life adopted into God's family. And so he says, born again to what? To a living hope. A verse that is very popular, especially around resurrection time. We are born again to a living hope. Now, what is this hope? This hope is the eager, the confident expectation of us being taken home to heaven with Jesus where we'll be like him forever and with him forever. Okay, so that's this living hope that we have. In fact, F.B. Meyer calls the living hope the link between our present and our future. Okay, and so, and so if I'm a Jesus follower, if you're a Jesus follower in this room, you should have this living hope as to what's to come, right? That, that you and I are gonna go with Jesus to heaven, be with him, be like him for all of eternity. Now, it's called a living hope for a reason, okay? It's not just hope. It says this is a living hope. In other words, it's alive, okay? Um, if it's not alive, it's what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so because it's alive, what should it be doing, okay? When you look at your plants, how do you evaluate if they're living? They're growing, right? So you guys, when we talk about this living hope that we're called to have, this living hope that is fixated on what's to come uh, as a result of the gospel, that not only is something we look towards, but it should be actively daily growing in us. In other words, when I look at my life last year and then I look at where I'm at now, I should be able to go, man, I have even more of a desire for him for that than I did last year. I am living more in light of that this year than I was then because it's living, he says. It's not dead. Uh, in fact, the world knows all about dead hope, right? Okay, you know a lot about dead hope. Dead hope is what? All the things that we were placing our hope in that never panned out. It's a hope that, that went off a cliff, whether it was money, a relationship, uh, a, a job, or, or, or living in a particular place. All those things uh, throughout our lives, we are tempted to place our hope in. 
And, and for many of us, we came to the realization that we needed God, a relationship with God, because we experienced dead hope. And now he says, you have been brought forth, resurrected from that dead hope to a living hope. That's exciting. And so that's not just something that is this future thing. We experience it in our lives uh, daily. And, and it's this hope that prompted Paul to tell the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, 21. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, because at death, that hope becomes a reality for us. We get to enter into the presence of God. And so, God brought about this new birth, this, this living hope, through what? He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate that. We celebrate the resurrection, that, that through the resurrection, this was one for us on our behalf. Peter then explains that the object of their living hope is an inheritance. You see that? The object of their living hope is an inheritance. Now, what is an inheritance? Inheritance, okay? An inheritance at its core, it's just wealth passed down, isn't it? It's wealth being passed down. Uh, most of the time, it's like a family member, uh, right? And, and, and so it's this legacy, this wealth that is, is passed down to the next uh, family member. And for some of you, you're really excited about that. And for others of you, you're like, nothing's gonna happen. Um, but, but either way, that's, that's this inheritance, right? And, and I want you to think like, like, like sometimes we may go, oh, uh, there's going to be an inheritance there. You guys, can you imagine the eternal inheritance of God? Like, that's incredible. You've been adopted into his family. He's your father. And he says, I've got an inheritance for you. And, and so that's why it says, like, we should be excited. We should operating in this joy with this living hope uh, about this inheritance that's being passed down to us. And, and, and so as so you can imagine the, the readers here who are in these different pockets of the, of the known world here in the New Testament, and they're experiencing persecution. They're suffering. They're going through these things, and, and they're reading these words about what's to come, and you would... Uh, imagine their thought is, I'm not gonna measure up, right? Because a lot of times when it comes to inheritance, there's strings attached. There's expectations. And so for them, they're hearing about the plans of God, uh, the hope that they're called to live with and, and how that's to play out in their faith and their lives and their relationships. And, 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 and they probably just had to be going, how in the world I'll never measure up uh, to this? How can I, I, I do that? And, and so he helps them. He helps them with this. First, he says, though, like, listen, this inheritance, you guys, this is not just a normal thing. This is, this is what, he's, he describes it with, with three words, right? He says it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it will not fade away. Okay, it, this is this incredible thing. Imperishable. It's not subject to decay, this inheritance, right? It's not gonna wear out. It's incorruptible. It's not subject to death. It says it's undefiled. There's nothing unclean about this inheritance. There's no sin. It's pure. And then it's unfading, okay? It's, 
It's completely unfading. This inheritance that is there waiting for you. It's unlike earthly wealth, right? Earthly wealth, it comes, it goes. In fact, many of you with the way the housing market is, you've been keeping an eye on your house, how much it's worth, right? And all that. And 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 because we know that wealth does this, different markets and all of that play into these things. I was having a conversation with my brother the other day. His kids are huge into sports cards. And early in the pandemic, sports cards just skyrocketed in their value. And he was telling me now all these cards aren't as valuable. And, and, and he was telling me about this market that I'm not involved in at all and everything that was going on there. And, and, and so I was just reminded how all of these, when he talks about uh, unfading, it's, it's like everything that, that we experience, we, we see on, on this earth is what? It, it loses value over time. It, it, it loses its beauty over time. Okay, um, but this is time-proof. It will never fade. It will never lose its value. Kept in heaven for you. You think of just unfading. I mean, how many of us have found spots in our clothes and we go, it's fading. How is it fading, right? And, and you know, and, and some of you, you just don't even care, right? Let's be honest. Like, like some of you, you've got a shirt. Your shirt is literally older than your kids and you don't care. You're like, and it's, it, the color is totally different than it was. And you're fine. You love that shirt. And, and that's just who you are. And you rock that shirt. Way to go. But fading, we don't look to fading and go, oh, that's great, right? Fading shows humanity. It shows decay. It, sh- it shows that it's wearing uh, out. And he says, no, that this is different. And this inheritance is, it says, kept in heaven for you. God has reserved this inheritance. He's reserved it for believers and it stays there until we're there with him. And once again, as they're reading this and hearing this, they're like, man, I ain't gonna measure up to this. I can't believe God's doing this for me. He's holding on to this for me. Uh, all this is in store and, 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 and like, I, I can't measure uh, up. And, and, and so then I love how he assures them. Do you see what he does here? He assures them that the inheritance is being what? It's being guarded by the power of God. Their eternal inheritance is being guarded by the power of God through their faith. Being guarded, kept safe. It's being carefully watched. Now, this word guarded here and how it's used in the, in the original uh, language, it can mean, and this is very interesting, it can mean both kept from escaping and protected from attack. Now, here's why I love that. What I love about that when it comes to your eternal inheritance, your salvation, you guys, God is guarding that with his power and he's not just protecting that. He's not just protecting your salvation from attack, from opposition. He's also protecting it from you. He's protecting it from you. So he's protecting you from yourself. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I talked about how last week the the spirit of God in this sanctification process is continually pulling us away 
from this sin, these things that, that were so much a part of our lives that we were enslaved to. And now the Spirit of God pulls us from that. And, and you guys, what's he, what's, he, what he's doing is so clear. He's literally like, I am protecting you, Steve, from yourself. Let me do that. I am protecting your salvation, not only from the opposition that you're gonna face, that, that you will face, but I'm protecting you from your own self, your own failures, your own flaws, your own biases, the, the things that, that, that you're gonna wanna fall back into. I'm protecting you from that so that it is, it is safe. And so guys, this is such a powerful uh, thing. And, and, and so he's guarding this salvation uh, for us, and it's going to be revealed in the last time. So this salvation that he's speaking to here, in fact, in salvation, when it comes to salvation, we see three separate kind of tenses used throughout scripture. Um, and when we talk about salvation, when you think about it, it literally, when you decide to be a Jesus follower and you ask him uh, to be your Lord and savior, you immediately experience salvation from the penalty of sin. Amen. That penalty is gone. But then there's the daily salvation experience that we have where, where we experience the salvation from the power of sin in our life. But then lastly, what we see, and it being referenced here, which is so exciting, is we experience at the end of time salvation from the very presence of sin. Gone. Over. He continues in verses six through nine, he says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now uh, see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, so uh, in, in, in verse six here, he says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay, so he says, in light of this, in, in reflecting back on this salvation, this eternal inheritance that you have, you should be presently celebrating, rejoicing. You should have this incredible joy. But then he adds something that we don't like, right? He adds, though, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay, so as we walk into this section here of trials and difficulties, the very first thing we have to see is he states what? That their trials are what? Say that louder. For a little while. Everybody say for a little while. There you go, you're awake. For a little while. By definition, that means they are for a season. So that's the very first thing that is so important. They're for a season, they're for a little while, which means they will pass. They will pass. In fact, look at what Paul calls these, these, these trials uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Okay, that's Paul 
who says that. He describes this light momentary affliction. Uh, Paul, you were stoned multiple times, shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead. And he's like, hey, this momentary light affliction. And we're like, Bible's awesome. You are crazy, okay? But he says it's producing something to the point where he's able to look at it like, like this light. And he, and he says momentary, right? So he's not giving this, um, this trial more credit than it's earned or that it deserves, right? He's not saying, oh no, you're not, you're not all that. You're momentary. You're, 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 not, you're not gonna carry on. You're a season. You guys, the very first thing that we, have to, that we have to acknowledge, and listen, I am not going to sit here and just paint with these broad strokes, okay? Because I know that all of us are experiencing trials in different ways. In fact, I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. But I just wanna be really clear because oftentimes when we talk about trials and struggles and the opposition that you're gonna face within a church setting like this, you walk away thinking, oh, well, my trials just aren't that big, aren't that important, or they're kind of excused away and, 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 and all of that. And, and it's more just like, what's wrong with me for feeling this way? Um, and, and where's your faith, right? That's kind of the typical story. That is not what we're, we're talking about. In fact, he's gonna validate how you feel about your trial. But I just wanna be really clear because we are all going through various separate trials that are really, really tough, really tough. So many that you wouldn't even know about that are happening just in this room. We think about people watching online, you, you even expand that. But, but the first thing that we have to understand and know is that these trials should not have an eternal perspective in your heart and mind. That's the first danger you guys, is, is we make our trial eternal. And he says, it is not eternal. He says, for a little while, it's for a season, it's gonna come and, and, and it's gonna go. And, and so stop making your trial this eternal thing. Guys, we, it's so crazy how we flip-flop flip -flop the, the, literally the eternal and the non-eternal, Right? Like, like the temporary and the eternal. When we think about our, our trials, we typically make them eternal in our lives. They consume us, they consume our hearts and our minds. There is no living hope, there is trial. And so we wake up every day thinking about the trial, the situation, the pain. It may be physical, it may be mentally, emotionally. Uh, it, it, it may be just overwhelming. And, and I'm not gonna invalidate that. But what we tend to do is make it like it's eternal. And, 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 and yet the very eternal, which is God, <laughs> the living hope, we make that temporary. In other words, we go to church, maybe we pray, and it, and it feels great when I need it. And I'm glad he's available. And, and in fact, when I do something great, I'm gonna do one of those, you know? But, but my relationship with him by how I treat him is actually what? Very temporary, isn't it? And so what I see is a huge danger in our culture is we flip-flopped what is temporary and eternal and we've given our trial this, this, this eternal mindset, this eternal priority in our heart. And, and in scripture it says, don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, it's for a season, it will pass. And so we have to get out of this. My struggle is just never ending. You guys, listen, how it talks about our life compared to eternity is like, right? 
Your life is so quick. And your ability to control life is like trying to grab the wind, right? It's like trying to grab a ball of smoke. Good luck with that. You can't do it. Okay, you, you just can't do it. And so we can't control that. We can't control that outcome. And how he talks about this life compared to eternity isn't important. I mean, it's important, but it doesn't carry. And, and, and yet we treat it like it's going to. And he's saying, just like with your life and, and your trial, honestly, your trial, you may feel this pain the rest of your time on this planet. But he says, that's still temporary compared to eternity, compared to what's to come. Don't give it credit that it doesn't deserve or that it hasn't earned. And then he says this, trials come if what? Necessary. He says, trials come if necessary. Now, before I unpack this, I wanna just be really clear. When we talk about trials as being necessary and purposeful, um, if you or you know someone is in a abusive situation, okay? We need to get that person or you help, okay? Because sometimes people walk away from a teaching like this and they go, oh, this is just, this is part of, this is part of the deal. And, and so there's purpose in this. We need to get you, we need to protect you, okay? So are we all tracking with that? I wanna be really clear when we talk about something like that. But as we talk about as a whole, the trials here that, that he's alluding to, in particular trials for your faith, uh, for what you believe in, he says they are necessary. In other words, they serve a purpose in our lives. They serve a purpose in our lives. In Acts 14, 22, um, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Okay, now, now Paul has just literally in this section of scripture been stoned. He was stoned, left for dead, and you know what he did? He got back up and walked back into that city. People were tripping. Walks back into the city, he's left for dead, and, and then he's encouraging the believers. Can you imagine? Like you're having this conversation after you've just watched what's happened to him, and he's like, hey, it's gonna be through tribulations. You're like, oh no. <laughs> you're like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm tapping, right? And, 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 and he's like, no, he's like, this is part of it. This is what we're doing. You're gonna face this. You're gonna walk through these things. And, and he says later in 1 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, he says that no one be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. We're destined for this. So this is, this is part of it, okay? That we're gonna deal with, with these, uh, these troubles, these trials. Um, and, 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 and I don't say that once again to just go, oh, so there it is. Good luck with that. No, because Peter actually highlights the incredible pain that goes with these trials, right? Do you notice how he acknowledges the grieving in these trials? Guys, there's grieving in these trials. There's grieving in what you're going through. There's grieving over your family. There's grieving over your health, over your pain, over the situations that are happening in your life. There's, there's, there's grieving. He's not talking about just the physical pain here when he says grieving. He's talking about mental pain. He's talking about this, this grief. He's talking about this anxiety, this, this depression, this, this sorrow that you're all going to feel during these, these trials that we walk through. And so, and so he says, this is, this is gonna happen and, and you're gonna feel very strongly. You're gonna 
to feel this pain. It's going to be really, really hard. It's going to rock the boat in your life. And, and then he also says that these trials are going to come in many forms. Many forms. I think it would be so much easier to just identify one person and go, yep, you are my trial. And some of us have done that. Amen. <laughs> We're like, you're my trial. You have been sent. But that's not, he says, there are various trials that we're gonna go through. In fact, James says the same thing in James chapter one, verse two. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So there's gonna be trials that are, that, and, and I look at, I just think about this room and it's, it's evident, right? There, so many of you are dealing with so many different trials. So many different trials, health, financially, job, um, mental, uh, just stuff that decisions, all these things, opposition. And, and so we're facing all of these things. We're all coming together in a space like this going, my trial looks different than yours. And man, guys, I, I had the privilege to be in this talk uh, this week and listen to the head of the social sector of Convoy of Hope. And who's going all around the world and just meeting incredible needs. And he's talking and he's giving this elaborate presentation to these to Christian leaders. And, and he's going through all these things, right? Great presentation. I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, this is good. All of a sudden, as he's talking about what's going on in the world and he's talking about Christians, he just starts telling these stories. Of, 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 of the hugs he's had, the eyes that he's looked into, the pain that he's seen, and all of a sudden, he just breaks down, notes, goodbye notes, and he just shares the pain that people are going through. And as he starts sharing, I mean, the whole room, we all just, we just lost it. In fact, since that talk, multiple times, I've just broken down because I, I can't fathom the pain that other people are going through. I can't. I know my trial and I don't belittle my trial and how it feels, but I go, my goodness, there are people going through different kinds of trials that I can't even comprehend. I can't comprehend a mother and her daughters shaving their head to sell their hair to survive. I can't imagine selling my oldest son to support the rest of my family. I can't, I, I can't imagine having to flee a country, but because of my ethnicity, nobody's willing to take me or my kids. <laughs> I, I, there, there's things, you guys, there's horrors that, that I, can't, I, I can't wrap my, my mind around. And what does hope look like, right? And, and, and these Jesus followers around the world, they're, 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 they're reading this, just like you and I. They're reading this. And they have joy, they have a living hope. And guys, honestly, I just, man, I, I'm just like wrestling with the reality that I am so far from that. But guys, pain is real. We experience it. We don't invite it. We don't ask for it. We don't pray for it. But it's real and it hits us differently. But I love what he promises us. He promises us that we don't have to lose hope because of what's to come and then because of what he says in verse seven. 
He says what? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He, guys, he says, these trials that you're gonna walk through, they do not diminish or hijack your joy. They bring joy. They actually can produce joy in your life. And, and I would question that. I would doubt that if it wasn't for this stinking book of the Bible called Philippians, right? It's literally alluded to as the epistle of joy. And here Paul is writing it from where? Prison. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right? That's, I don't know. That's just what I picture. That's what I picture. He's there. And, 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 and I go, well, this is, yeah, this is good. No, like Paul is writing this epistle about joy from prison. And, 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 and these crazies are singing in, in prison. They're singing. They're praising God. So it's not just something on this page. It's like, oh, that's cool. They're crazy. No, he's like, this is possible. This is possible. This is real. This is what happens if you live with a living hope. This is what happens if eternity is what is in your heart, in your mind, if, if salvation is real for you and it's, it's daily, every day you wake up in that reality, you're forgiven, you've been saved, that, that the power of sin has been defeated, you have been rescued and that the presence of sin is gonna be gone and you're gonna be in, the, in, in literally the presence of God for all eternity. And if I can live in light of that, then just maybe in this trial that's gonna last for a season, a moment in time compared to a thousand years, from now, then just maybe I can go in the midst of it. I can be as crazy as Paul. He says, this is proving something. This is proving something. And, and he literally uses this analogy of like gold and how it's, how it's melted uh, to get anything that's not gold out of it. So it's pure, it's refined. And he says, listen, these trials that I know you didn't ask for, I know you don't want. And these people reading this, I mean, they're not reading it like, oh, that's great, like you and I today. No, they're like, I need this. I don't know what to do. This opposition, and I hear it swirling. It's gonna get worse. What do I do? So he says these words and he says, listen, this is going to validate your faith. It is gonna purify your faith. It's gonna show the genuineness of your faith and it is gonna be an incredible, incredible thing in your life that you will be able to praise Jesus for. Trust me, it will prove it. We've seen that, haven't we? Trial comes our way. You guys, unfortunately, what always proves and validates our faith is not success, is it? It's not when things go well, is it? It's not when God seems to be operating on the same page with you, right? It's when things aren't going well. It's when there is a trial. It's when things aren't happening. It's when your prayer requests seem to be unanswered. It's in those moments. It's in that fire, this analogy of that fire that we actually see whether our faith is pure and genuine or if it's leaning on its circumstances. And that is such an important truth. And he says, listen, your faith is so much more valuable than gold. Although gold can be melted down, it is perishable. This faith, this eternal life, it never ends. It never goes away. And believers who are faithful in these trials, I love 
how it closes that section. Did you catch this? This is, let, let, me, let me go back here. He says in verse eight, no, 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 verse seven. He says, after tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's what he's saying. He's literally saying, if, if you and I, if, if these believers can be faithful in this, in living this way, we are literally at the end of time when we stand before God, this, this, this future tense here, when he comes back and gets us, he is going to praise and honor us for the faith that we had. Is that, is that crazy? Some of you have won something at some point in time where you got a medal or a trophy and, and maybe people clapped for you. You know, like uh, I was joking with one of the people that ran the marathon, like, why didn't you wear that in here? You know? Hey, guys. Yeah, I showed up to church and I ran a marathon, <laughs> right? You get highlighted, you know, we could celebrate that whenever we get rewarded, right? We want people to see. Nobody gets a reward and goes, oh, <laughs> I don't want anyone to know. No, right? There's a reason. There's a reason when you win tournaments and stuff, you get a shirt and trophy and everybody's taking pictures and that. Um, I, you know, I remember that season of my life, you know, and, and how excited I was if I, if I won something and, and get to show and demonstrate that. Do you guys have any idea what this could look like? Literally, you being just praised and honored before God as a result of how you've walked through these trials down here? What an incredible thought. What an incredible thing to think about and to be reminded of. Verses eight through nine, he says, once again, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do, now, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Okay, guys, what Peter is saying here to these Christians is so true for us today, right? We, we believe, we, we try and trust in him even though we can't physically see him. And yet they're, they're called to maintain true to that love, to continue to trust in him, even amidst the, the suffering. And he says, you're gonna obtain the outcome of that faith, which is what? The salvation of your souls. And, and, and so if they can maintain what that, that incredible um, that, that incredible praise, that worship, that joy. Uh, he says, literally, you are gonna be filled with this inexpressible joy. Guys, inexpressible literally means beyond the power of words to express, which is crazy. He says, so just be faithful, be faithful. That is coming. And then he closes with verses 10 through 12. And he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Okay, so, so Peter draws their attention back to salvation from the viewpoint of the prophets of old. 
Okay, so, so what were the prophets? The prophets were the, the, the mouthpieces of God, the spokesmen for God to the people. And, and so they were the ones who were prophesying, who, who, were, who were writing down all these prophecies and, uh, about the grace that was to come, the, the sufferings of Christ, the redemption of humanity. And, and I love this section because he talks about how these prophets literally were pursuing, studying their own prophecies. Because they were just like, how is, how is he going to do this? How is the Christ going to do this? What is this going to be like? And this grace, man, we're so stuffy with the law, with this grace. What in the world? What is this going to look like? And so they're, they're studying it. They're trying to understand it. And, and, and it talks about how they were trying to understand the time, right? When is this going to happen? And finally, the Spirit of God was working in them. It was like, this isn't for you. Yeah, there's some application today, but this part is for the people that are to come. And so they had to rest in that reality. And so they looked forward to that. And then, so he acknowledges that and he acknowledges the people that have been faithful to preach the gospel to them. And then he says, literally the gospel, the salvation message is, is being laid out in such an incredible way. He says, the angels themselves are watching and amazed. They are fascinated by the salvation that Jesus has won for you and for me. Like angels are watching going, God, that's, that's crazy. That's amazing, God. What a powerful section of scripture. And so I wanna just close with asking some questions for us today. Do we have a living hope? Do we have a living hope? And when we think about, do I have a living hope? I've got to ask, is what's to come impacting me today? Do you have an eternal mindset or a temporary one in the midst of a trial or the trials that maybe you're in right now? Is, has, has your trial hijacked the temporary and gone into the eternal in your mindset, in your heart, or are you able to acknowledge what it is? And then I want to ask, this, do you believe that God's at work in it? Do you believe that God's actually at work in it? Can you actually praise him because of your relationship with him? Or has this temporary four-season trial stolen from the eternal inheritance and that perspective we're called to have? You guys, we need to daily live with this dependency, with this reality of what's to come as we go through these trials. And we need to understand and know that these trials are gonna reveal what's genuine. It's gonna reveal um, our faith and, and it's gonna shine. When you go through a trial, you guys, uh, it, it's never just you, is it? Right, God, there, there's people around you. There's family members. There's all these people being impacted by just this trial that you're going through. And, 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 I, and I love how, how he talks about necessary. When he's saying necessary, he means like, like there's purpose in it and then it, it, it's gonna be brought about for his good. He's gonna work in it. And, and, and we never know, right? Sometimes it's about us. Sometimes it's for somebody else. But I love the perspective of Paul who once again suffered like crazy. Uh, and, and he writes this in, in Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 14. Listen to what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see like, like why he's able to have the perspective? He's going, God is at work in this. He's doing incredible things. And it's not just in me. He's, look at the ministry. Look at the gospel, how it's being used and, and, and how it's going out and ministering to all these people. And I gotta believe it was being used because they're watching him going, why are you the way you are? How can you maintain that posture, that, that belief? And so you guys, I wanna close with this thought. There is a relation, there's a relational component to going through a trial. We need each other. This has to be a family. This has to be a place where, where we're meeting, where we're walking through these trials with each other. Okay, this can't be a place where, where, where you just walk in and I'm just gonna bear this trial alone. No, we gotta be a people group that care deeply about each other uh, so that we can get into these trials with each other because God has placed a lot of us here so that we have others around us who can walk through the trial with us because trials are very isolating, aren't they? And what that's gonna take is more than a church that is friendly, okay? There's a lot of you that are really friendly. You guys, friendly's awesome. I pray that we're friendly. But more than that, we need friendship. We need authenticity with each other and we need each other for the seasons that we're walking through. And so let's be that for each other, Amen. Because just as Paul is, is looking around him and going, look at, look at, look at, look at. Guys, there's more going on around you that God wants to use.